Oregon's probably a city more or less the same size as Canberra, yeah. half a million people. And a so. totally opposite yeah. response than what you would think would... What the police and anti-drug campaigners would say would it's happen. It's going to happen. Yeah, have, yeah, in fact, have said would mm. happen yeah. if we allowed people to use drugs or to mm-hmm. possess drugs. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, prior to this measure passing, Oregon ranked last in access to treatment and recovery services. And yet since the pass- passage of decriminalisation, many local media outlets in Oregon have fixated on a lack of citations from police for drug possession under Measure 110. People found in possession of small amounts of all drugs receive a citation and a $100 fine instead of being arrested. This is a distraction and the wrong way to measure the program's success. In fact, decriminalisation efforts shouldn't involve police. Police involvement often harms people who use drugs. Well, gee, that's a surprise. Surprise, yeah. (laughs) Addressing drug use through the criminal legal system has contributed to mass incarceration and family separation and has saddled people with criminal records that affect their ability to get housing, employment and live full lives. Yep. It has allowed public officials to neglect their responsibility to support people and instead inflate police departments to become military-style operations while continually divesting from health and support services that people desperately need. Even some police will tell you that their options for response are limited and that a different set of tools are needed. Since decriminalisation has taken an effect, in Oregon, thousands of harmful drug arrests have been avoided. And the thing they forget to say too is once you separated a family, you can never put it back together the same way. Yeah. So once you've taken mm. the kids away, once the yeah. father or the it's mother has been removed, it's a little bit broken. Putting, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. once you can't unbreak stuff. Mm. And families are a particularly good example yeah. of that. Some can, anyway, the article goes on. Some call Oregon's efforts an experiment, but they are already grounded in evidence. They're largely based on the successful model adopted in Portugal <laughs> over 20 years ago. Based, I might add, that's my, my saying, not them. Within a few years of implementing decriminalisation in Portugal, the number of people voluntarily entering treatment increased significantly, while overdose deaths, HIV infections, problematic drug use and incarceration for drug-related offences plummeted. And Portugal is not an anomaly. Many other countries, including Switzerland and the Czech Republic, have implemented varying degrees of decriminalisation with similar success. The logic is simple. Excuse me. When people are given access to health services and no longer fear being criminalised if they seek them out, they are more likely to do so. And if we address the full range of people's needs, including harm reduction services, housing and even even job assistance versus just mandating abstinence, we are able, actually, to get people on solid footing and better address the underlying factors that contribute to chaotic drug use. We've seen this in Portugal and are getting a glimpse of it in Oregon. Even though Oregon's move is a huge step forward, 
for the United States, there remains more work to do, such as removing quality, quantity thresholds and police altogether, inclusion of expungement and resentencing for past drug arrests and convictions, and ensuring access to things like overdose prevention centres and safe supply. As we work to decriminalise drugs in other states and federally, these additional provisions, such as increasing the quantity of drugs that uh, would qualify as personal possessions, should be strongly considered in order to truly embrace the public health alternative that this is meant to be. So decriminalisation is a shift that a majority of people would actually like to see. According to the latest polling, 66% of Americans support removing criminal penalties for drug possession and investing in health services. While Oregon may be the first in the US, it certainly won't be the last. And since this measure passed, we've seen over half a dozen states and Congress introduce legislation that would decriminalise drug possession. Amid the twin crises of overdose and criminalisation, we owe ourselves and our communities a different approach, one that empowers people to live healthy and free lives, decriminalising drugs and creating access to care are necessary steps in that direction. Mm, And hopefully we'll be seeing this in Canberra sometime soon. Yeah, with any luck. Yeah, yeah. that would be a really, really big... um, Review. Big, big outcome, and yep. we also coming up later in the show talk about a decriminalisation bill that's uh, coming up in Canada. Indeed. But we'll go to a song right now, yep. um, and this next song is The Replacements with Left of the Dial. That was The Replacements with Left of the Dial. You're listening to news from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection, here on People Powered Radio 98.3 FM. Um, and the time right now is five minutes to 11. All right, so on to the next story. And the uh, we've got the federal bill to decriminalise drug possession for personal use introduced to Parliament in Vancouver, is that right? In Canada. Canada, right. So um, two Vancouver Island MPs are asking the federal government to decriminalise drug possession in an effort to help families dealing with loved ones who use are or, or are dependent on drugs. Courtney Albany MP Gord Johns introduced a private member's bill that was seconded by North Island Powell River MP Rachel Blaney that would decriminalise drug possession for personal use and expand access to harm reduction treatment and recovery programs and services. Mr John said that we need to decriminalise immediately and save lives by providing access to a regulated safer supply of drugs for users. Besides these necessary steps, this bill would also require the government to remove barriers to employment, housing and travel for thousands of Canadians by expunging their criminal records for simple possession of drugs. This shouldn't be a partisan issue. Since 2016, nearly 6,000 overdose deaths have been reported in British Columbia alone. In 2021, Vancouver, Toronto and the province of BC have all applied to the federal Canadian government to allow for decriminalisation of drugs for personal use. In 2021, the district of Campbell River had 403 reported overdose calls, a number much higher than any of the previous five years. 
Overdose calls across British Columbia were up 31% in 2021 over the previous year. And Ms Blaney said, I've walked with parents and heard heartbreaking stories of loss in our communities. No family should have to go through that. It's clear that the current approach isn't working. Experts are clear that this crisis needs a health-focused approach. People who use drugs should not be treated like criminals. They need better access to harm reduction and treatment, and I'm urging all of Parliament to act now and save lives. Well, what a wonderful bill. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems to be a thing that's happening. I mean, it's happening in the United States at yep. the moment. It's happening here in the ACT. Yep. Canada, there's been a push for this because Canada, there's been quite a long, strong harm reduction movement, particularly in Toronto and yep. Vancouver for a long time. Yep. Um, so the harm reduction movements, but particularly the peer-based organisations like um, like Karma, yep. uh, originally started cropping up in places like Canada and Australia and, um, and you know, as part of the response to AIDS back in, 19, in the yeah. 1980s, these places started getting government funding yep. because governments were looking at a way of, you know, talking to this community. Well, I'm just happy to see governments starting to wrap their heads around that criminalising yeah. people who use drugs is... Mm. Not the way yeah. to go. No, it's not the way to go. You know? <laughs> and it doesn't I mean, work. If you throw people in prison, what does it cost? You know, it costs yeah. a lot more to put someone in prison than it does to house them and send them to university, for yeah, instance. I mean, um, prisons are a big so, business these days. You know, so. really, yeah. And that's, you know, particularly in the United States where there's so many privatised prisons. Yeah. Um, and the people who own these privatised prisons pay money to lawmakers. Yeah. You know, they essentially donate to lawmakers' campaigns mm -hmm. to um, introduce tougher laws and introduce yeah. mandatory minimum sentences. They all seem to be like focused that. around drug users. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, it's just about time to head off to the news. Um, so we'll be back with news from the drug war front on the other side of the news. People powered... You're listening to News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by Karma and the Connection here on Community Radio or People Powered Radio, 2XX 98.3 FM, and the time is four minutes past 11. We're back in Australia now and talking about the second supervised injecting facility in Melbourne. Late last week, the Victorian State Government announced that Melbourne is set to get its second safe injecting centre, but this has not been without controversy. The announcement was made by Premier Daniel Andrews as he was releasing the results of the evaluation of Melbourne's first medically supervised injecting centre in North Richmond. The Richmond facility has been extended for a further three years, with plans for the second site to be established opposite the Queen Victoria market. A site directly opposite the Queen Victoria market is the State Government's preferred second medically supervised injecting centre. City of Melbourne Lord Mayor Sally Cap isn't opposed to the idea of a second safe injecting centre but is, is concerned by the lack of consultation regarding the preferred site. Despite the strong evidence supporting supervised injecting centres, local support is far from guaranteed. Um, Sally Cap said, or told ABC's Virginia Trioli, it would be naive to think that everyone, everybody would embrace whatever site is ultimately decided upon. 
The Richmond Centre, which was opened in June 2018, has experienced a long-running campaign for it to be closed or relocated. Objections to the site have been highly publicised and have often overshadowed the enormous public health gains that have been made. So what is a medically supervised injecting facility? A medically supervised injecting facility is a health service where people who inject drugs can come to use drugs in a clean space under the supervision of medically trained staff. Trained staff can quickly respond to prevent overdose as well as provide referral for other health care services, including drug treatment. Are they associated with more crime? Well, Melbourne was already experiencing an increase in heroin use and the harms that are associated with heroin use when the North Richmond service was established. Since then, opponents have claimed there's been an increase in heroin dealing on the streets around it, despite that trend being well documented prior to its opening. The area's reputation and decade -long, decades long history as one of the Australia's largest street-based heroin markets may make it difficult to link the centre directly to injecting drug use concerns and local amenity. Further, the state's government's evaluation report shows conflict between community perceptions and crime data, with rates and types of crime in the North Richmond area appearing to be stable between October 2014 and September 2019. The exception was for offences relating to drug use and possession. However, a concern with drug-related crime is that the more effort police devote towards drugs, the more drug offences will be detected. This makes possession offences a particularly hard measure to interpret given the strong media and police focus on drug use in the North Richmond area. The international evidence shows that rather than increasing drug dealing and crime, supervised injecting facilities have been associated with improvements in public order. Multiple studies show no association between supervised injecting facilities and changes in drug trafficking. Research also reliably shows that the establishment of these services is associated with a reduction in discarded syringes in the local area, which is an important issue for public safety. The Sydney Medically Supervised Injecting Centre in Kings Cross has demonstrated local residents and business operators found clear benefits in public amenity indicators five years after it opened. Fears of increased crime and drug use appear unfounded. Does Melbourne need to have a second site? And if so, where? Attendance statistics suggest that the Richmond site is one of the busiest in the world with 119,223 visits in its first 18 months. Wow. wow. <laughs> this success of the centre shows there's clear demand for services, doesn't it ever? To be effective, supervised injecting facilities need to be located where they are established illicit drug markets and populations of people who use drugs. The City of Melbourne has the second highest number of public overdose deaths in Melbourne. As with the Richmond facility, the location was chosen because there's already a considerable amount of street-based drug use and related harm. Does the evidence show that supervised injecting facilities work? Supervised injecting facilities have been the topic of a vast amount of research over the past 20 years. The Sydney Medically Supervised Injecting Centre has collated more than 220 peer-reviewed research papers 
that document outcomes from supervised injecting facilities. When they say peer review, it's not actually what you think. Yeah, not our, <laughs> not our peer. Yeah, it's peer reviewed peer. by research peers as researchers, yeah? yeah? yeah. Mm-hmm. Peer researchers. Yeah. These published studies consistently show that supervised injecting centres are associated with reduced overdoses and mortality, in addition to reduced syringe sharing and reuse which are important in reducing spread of bloodborne viruses. The need for these services has been highlighted recently with even greater risks for people who use drugs due to isolation during the COVID-19 pandemic. This is this in an addition to benefits for public amenity that are discussed above. Was the Richmond trial a success? The independent review into Richmond Centre found that there is clear evidence it's a saving lives and contributing to other health benefits. In its first 18 months, more than uh, 3,200 overdoses were safely managed. Wow. Yeah. That's a good outcome. Yeah. Including 271 overdoses classified as extremely severe mm. and no overdose deaths. No, yeah. and that's really mm. important. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. in the United States, the way that they actually got to put to uh, institute safe injecting centre, a safe injecting centre, was mm. to call it an overdose present, mm. prevention centre. Yeah. Because that was their problem at the time, and still mm. is. Yeah. The hundreds of that, like a hundred thousand, mm. as we reported in the story before, a hundred thousand overdoses in twelve in a twelve month period, mm. and that's only in one area. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. That's how they've leveraged it over there. So. Yeah, and. Now, and that's you know, they've opened one up in Brooklyn. They want to open one up in all the other boroughs. They want yes. another certainly one in Manhattan. Using that one title, in the Bronx and, yeah, yeah. Certainly using that label has made it much easier for people, mm. the local people, but yeah. in particular the people in New York, mm. to consume, to take in yeah. as a legitimate service. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If you build it, they will come. Mm. <laughs> Staff have provided a range of other treatment services such as referrals for mental health and addiction treatment with more than 13,000 occasions documented during the trial. Wow. Demand on emergency services has also decreased, consistent with the findings from the Sydney Medically Supervised Injecting Centre evaluation. The most recent evaluation shows a reduction in ambulance attendance due to overdoses in Richmond. This means that resources that would have been required to manage overdoses in the Richmond area are available for other medical emergencies. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah. Because, I I mean, that was one of the things that's been a great, a huge issue here Mm. is that although you may ring triple zero while you're doing, operating, you know, Mm. uh, naloxone, then you will not really need the presence of an ambulance mm. because you're able to use the naloxone and that's really yeah. important mm. because it's so expensive to send yeah. out yeah. an ambulance. Mm. And with ambulances lining up at uh, accident and emergency because yeah. of the um, COVID yeah, mm. that's right. pandemic, yeah. and in they a lot need of cases, them for other people, things. People are... You know, who probably should go along to hospital after they've overdosed are reluctant to do so because they don't want to cop a you yeah. know fifteen hundred dollar yeah. ambulance bill. Absolutely, yeah. and yeah. if they even and if they're on 
um, benefits. They don't yep. get charged that, nonetheless, mm. but they still are making use of yep. a resource that should they should not need to make a resource of mm-hmm. make use of that resource because of the use of naloxone. If they just would make that available more broadly. Yep. Anyway, uh, it's time to go to a song, and uh, this is Lord with Tennis Court. What have you done? You're listening to news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma and the Connection on People Powered Radio 2XX. That and serves the time me right. is 17 minutes past 11. <laughs> and that's been that little, what have you done? Surprise was from Marion because she's not watching what's going on. Just to round off that article that they were doing just before, sorry, Bryce and they, Bryce and Dave were doing um, while I was busy. Um, mm, satisfying my nicotine addiction. The next heading is uh, good health outcomes but more work to be done. Although the review found a reduction in reports of public injecting, it concluded that there's more work to be done to improve public amenity. Importantly, despite a reduction in public injection, uh, local people perceived that the amount of injecting equipment discarded around the centre had not reduced, nor did they feel safer after the centre opened. An extended trial proves an opportunity to further understand the impacts of North Richmond's medically supervised injecting room. Although the results so far are promising, some concerns remain uh, remain regarding the high volume of attendees at the Richmond site. The addition of a second site in Melbourne may address these concerns, in addition to recognise that there are other areas of Melbourne that experience significant drug-related harms. A $9 million commitment to improving local amenity for Richmond residents has also been made, recognising that the establishment of uh, medically supervised injecting room alone was not sufficient to address many of the long-standing local concerns, which makes perfect sense, really. Mm. And, in fact, if you provide only one medically supervised injecting site, you are, to be honest, inducing people to come into the community Mm -hmm. to to inject safely, and Mm. that's not what we want to happen as... In the um, in the range of things that we, outcomes we do want with mm-hmm. MSIRs with injecting rooms, yeah. we don't necessarily want people to be drawn into the community. We do want them to inject safely. Yeah. The point of having a second one may well mm-hmm. be that there are cohorts all over mm-hmm. Melbourne. Yeah. So they shouldn't all be going to Richmond no. to be able to inject safely. If they yeah. at least provided one more, mm. that would reduce the number of people yeah, you know, that same, came into thing. Richmond to inject safely. Similar thing in Sydney. People aren't going to catch a train in from Strathfield no. simply to use a safe injecting room at the cross. No, and in no. fact they yeah. don't. And the problem with that is that they've still got problems with overdoses and with mm-hmm. unsafe injecting yeah. and with unsafe disposal of used mm. syringes and of high levels of 
uh, provision of drugs. Yeah. So that's a real problem for mm. them. And even after 20 years, the safety of that so-called trial, mm. and that which is silly after 20 years, you would think yeah. it was totally established <laughs> by now, yeah. they really yeah. haven't thought to make it an, an established facility and mm. considered providing another one. Mm. It just seems... To me, it just seems ludicrous anyway. Yeah, in a city, particularly in a city Sydney size. Absolutely. I mean, they could, like, could easily have one for every local area um, health service. Absolutely. Um, and King's Cross is well known as a draw card anyway, yeah. Mm, yeah. and that's yeah. where the site's located. So yeah. people don't come there just to inject to mm. the area, I mean, yeah. the injecting yeah. site, I obviously. mean, it's largely a nightclub area rather it, than a heroin Well, it area. is. It's, no, a, it's for going out to. That's heroin, the whole point. You know, it's probably more strongly associated with Cabramatta Cabra of Redfern. Yeah, yeah these days. Yeah, yeah mm. it was. In the early days, it was just established. It was just available and made available in Sydney, In sorry, yeah. in King's Cross mm-hmm. because... Way back, as I keep on saying, because I'm so old, it was the R&R, the old troops school. on R&R. Old school. Old school. Old school. <laughs> it was the, the American, you know, the American um, army yeah. and forces that were on, uh, on R&R that actually mm-hmm. brought the drugs into yeah. the community and they mm-hmm. went to King's Cross yeah. to have fun yeah, because, because yeah. that was where it was. That was the central hub. Yeah, and it's right next to where where they park their ships. Absolutely. Mm. Anyhow, not wishing to, uh, yeah, hog all of that, but it is a really important issue and Mm. people would know, because we've been harping on about it for such a long time, um, that supervised injecting rooms are a really important facility and we haven't got one here, I might add. But yep. no reason why yep. we uh, shouldn't be uh, welcoming one as soon we as it's suggested. Be anyway, getting one soon, we hope. The next <laughs> article is Hopefully. a very long article, so probably halfway through or so, we'll go to a song. Or are we going to go for a song now? Did no, you no, say we'll, that? we'll go to, we'll read we'll the article for a while, I think. Yep. This is one of my hobby horses, I might add. Um, drug use isn't a moral issue. What isn't a hobby horse of mine, I might add. Thank you, Dave, for that little group. Drug use isn't a moral issue. It says, why do police still treat it as one? Australia's police, Australian police's Have a Conscience campaign is an ironically unconscionable attack on people who use drugs. The damage of such stigma is real. This is by Gavin Butler from the 15th of 11, 21. Just after midday on Wednesday, November the 3rd, a public service announcement was beamed out via Australian Federal Police's social media accounts. A split panel photograph urging viewers to contemplate a, quote, horrifying, quote, before and after image. On the left was a young woman with bright eyes and a clear, flawless skin. She could have been anywhere between 18 and 25. On the right, a sallow-faced woman who looked twice the other's age with sunken cheekbones, cracked teeth and facial scabs. Her eyes were bloodshot shot and deliriously vacant. Across the top oh, of the okay, image... OK, so she's been in lock-up all week. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Hanging out badly. Across the top of the image was a warning, scared of monsters under the bed? 
Imagine thinking bugs are under your skin. Then a campaign slogan, have a conscience, which doesn't, to me, hang together, but nonetheless. Mm. Neither of these women were real. As the police clarified in the comments, they've... They, um, in the comments, they were a creation of the AFP's forensic facial recognition team, an evocative simulacrum of the health ravages, quote, health ravages, meth physically causes the body, end quote. A caricature, in other words, a deep fake. For privacy reasons, the comment explained, we have not used the face of one of the real Australians suffering from this destructive drug. Real Australians. We have real Australians. I spoke to multiple real Australians who use methamphetamine after the ad was shared to the AFP's 586,000 Facebook and Instagram followers. Gemma, a 29-year-old corporate lawyer from Civic, from, Civic, from Sydney, beg your pardon, has smoked crystal meth recreationally since she was in her 20s. Quote, I've done it, I've enjoyed it, I've never had any issues, she told Vice. I've never felt the bugs crawling under my skin, as the AFP post was trying to make out, and I don't think my face is too bad either. This is pretty much of an insult, isn't it? Mm. Gemma said there are people in all aspects of life, uh, of her life, who know she uses crystal meth or ice and are accepting of the fact, including her workplace. She's comfortable talking about it with people who, quote, understand the reality of taking drugs and the fact that you're not a monster. Nonetheless, she asked that she be referred by, by pseudonym in this article to protect her from social stigma. It's demoralising, she said, of the AFP campaign. It does make it a lot harder to speak up and talk about this openly because it's tied so much to a sense of whether you're a good person or not. It was during her first degree that Gemma smoked ice for the first time. A one-off with a friend that didn't materialise into anything more regular until later. Eventually she started using it quite significantly while partying during uni breaks, abstaining throughout the semester unless there was a particularly large event or festival and then letting her hair down once school was out. Essentially she used meth the same way countless other young Australians use drugs like MDMA, cocaine, ketamine, as a party supplement. Now, she estimates that she smokes it about two or three times a year, never has her relationship bordered on what she would deem problematic. Obviously, everyone would asse should assess their own limits and everyone will have to have different tolerances, she said. But I know lots and lots of people who do it very rec recreationally and very few I would consider have a problem or have ever had a problem. Methamphetamine is a powerful stimulant that acts on the central nervous system and at low to moderate doses can elevate mood and increase energy. At high doses it can lead to heart failure and brain bleeds and when used chronically at high quantities can precipitate mood swings, violent behaviour and typical stimulant psychosis symptoms such as delirium, hallucinations and paranoia, all of which of course are health issues. Mm. Where am I going? Also, yeah, does, yeah. It, does it mention, by the way, um um, mum, 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 seizures as side effects of chronic use. 
No. Okay, because I've actually found that that's one of the issues that they might have mentioned too. Mm. It's, there are some very nasty, and the, I have a particular thing about ice anyway, but again, not a moral thing. Yeah. It's about the practicality of the drug use and the availability, why people are using ice anyway. Yeah, exactly right. As opposed to what they might be using if it was available. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily that they might be using heroin, but they might well be using amphetamines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cleaner, cleaner, a cleaner drug, to my mind anyway, than than ice is. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. Stick them in those in. (laughs) Meth is a poison and has the potential to lead to a broad range of physical and mental complications. Drug use and misuse is a proper, is a matter of public health and yet Australian police continue to prosecute it as a predominantly criminal and moral issue. The takeaway of the AFP campaign, I think for most people, is that meth users or people who use drugs more broadly are monsters. Ugly, disgusting beings that are worthy of disrespect, said Gemma, and it's horrible. In the 12 days since it was posted to Facebook, the public service announcement has racked up more than 1,400 comments, many of them condemning police's insensitive language and blunt force approach, many others applauding them and lamenting the fact that such horrifying people are being let out of prison and back onto the streets. Yeah, let alone the fact that they're already there. The AFP made a point of rolling out the fearsome doctored images around Halloween to highlight the real horror of illicit drug use. (laughs) Not content with demonising people who use drugs for the act itself, though they have a conscience campaign, also seeks to hold them accountable for the litany of evils, wrongdoings and crimes against humanity from sexual slavery to deforestation. <laughs> According to a media release that the AFP